The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Now, let me take you back in time to this day, the 24th of January, 1984, when this product was launched on the world. Hello, I am Macintosh. It sure is great to get out of that bag. And a custom that I am too public to meeting, I'd like to share with you a maxim I thought of the first time I met an IBM mainframe. Never trust a computer you can't with. Obviously, I can talk, but right now, I'd like to sit back and listen. So it is with considerable pride that I introduce a man who's been like a father to me, Steve Jobs. Jess Kelly, our technology <laughs> correspondent with me. Jess, what was that computer speaking? Uh, that was the original Macintosh, which launched on this day 40, 40 years, years ago. ago. So this is um, the story of Apple's success to a degree over the last 40 years. But this wasn't their first product, was it? Their first no, computer? No. So Apple was established in 1977 and they started by making computers that were aimed at more business customers. So wind your mind back even further than 84. And they had two devices that were looking to make uh, things like word processing, data processing that bit easier. They weren't pretty to look at, but they did the job. And Steve Jobs, being the visionary that he was, had this notion that he wanted to put a computer in everybody's hands. So inside every single home, he believed everybody should have a, a, a personal computer. And, you know, it seemed like a very basic idea, but to get it right, they had to do certain things. A lot of the computers that were out at that time were very clunky and very ugly. But Jobs had this notion that he wanted to make simple, move away from the black screens. And fun fact, I always have a fun fact for you. It's not really that fun. The Macintosh was the first computer to use the WIMP system, which of course you're familiar with, right? Uh, Absolutely, the WIMP system. Um, Explain, what what do the letters stand for? uh, Working home in my pyjamas. Close. Uh, it's Windows, icons, mouse and pointer. Okay. So the interface that you and I take for granted now on a computer, it doesn't matter if it's a Mac or a Windows computer, uh, you'll know that you have the Windows. So when you click on something, a new window opens. You've got your icons, the little things on your desktop, your mouse and then the pointer. So the Macintosh was the first one to do that. Okay. And that had revolutionised what existed before because to use a computer that existed before the Macintosh, you were essentially writing code on screen. However there was a big row inside Apple as to what the price point for this device should be. Now, again, remember, this is back in 1984 and Steve Jobs lost the argument and the price tag of $2,500 was placed upon What did he want? It cheaper? He wanted it to be 2000 Okay. Because the hardware and the technology, it was all very expensive and very premium, but he really believed that every home, not only in the United States, but around the world, could benefit from having one of these devices in the house. Now, it is worth looking at some of the limitations, some of the other limitations, aside from the price tag that existed here. In classic Apple file uh, style, sorry, there were certain things that they just didn't include. So there was no internal hard drive, which is bonkers in today's context mm. of a computer. There was no internal fan because Steve Jobs, from the bits that I've read about him, he was quite the perfectionist and he had this thing of, you know, beauty over functionality time and again. He didn't like the sound of a Function fan. Function follows form. 
look at you. Uh, he didn't like the, the the idea of the noise coming from a fan. But of course, without a fan, the device is overheated. And it led to the nickname, the beige toaster, because it would overheat so much. So his beautiful device that he created suddenly became known as the beige toaster. Uh, those shortcomings aside, the reason we're talking about it is because this was a success, ultimately, was it? It was successful-ish, which is okay. a technical term. Uh, so initially, in the first few months, it sold uh, 70,000 units in the first three months. However, that dropped off to around 10,000 units per month thereafter. And that was because of the price point. So a lot of people bought into the hype. There's a very famous a Super Bowl ad directed by Ridley Scott that uh, was shown as part of the Super Bowl in 1984 advertising this and a lot of people just jumped on it in the aftermath. So that 1984 won't be like 1984. That was the tagline according to Ed. Yeah. Which is a reference to the book, is it? Exactly. Uh, Have you read, are you reading Julia? Which is the, it's from Sarah, I can't remember her surname. Um, uh, sorry, the producer's looking at me saying, please don't go down a rabbit hole. Uh, but <laughs> it's basically, it's, you know, Winston Smith is the protagonist in 1984 uh-huh. and the woman he's having an affair with is Julia. But it's the story from her point of view. Oh. It's brilliant. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Okay, I'm going anyway, to add that to my Kindle. Okay. Back out of the rabbit hole. Back in the room we are. Um, so so while they did shift a lot of units on the back of that ad, as I said, the price point put a lot of people off and it kind of dwindled away. And that row that occurred uh, about the pricing kind of lingered. And 18 months after the launch of the Macintosh, Steve Jobs was pushed out of the company that he co-founded. So he went walkabouts for a few years. He left the company entirely. And then he was brought back in in 1996, by which point the company itself wasn't doing that great. Yeah, They'd kind of fallen off the radar a little bit. But... Obviously, as we now know, uh, because we are sitting here in 2024, things turned around. And when he came back in then in 96, um, the iPhone, well, no, the iPhone wasn't say until eight oh nine around then. The iPod was that—that that was the next big thing. That was, was it? the next big one. Was that already in his mind by ninety six? Do you know what's really interesting is when you look back, and there are so many biographies, and there's obviously so many movies made about Steve Jobs mm. and his brain. He seemed to have the vision for putting computing and functionality in the ha- in the palm of people's hands. If you look back to the original Macintosh, there was a handle on the top of the Macintosh, and he had this notion that you shouldn't trust a computer that you couldn't lift. So, okay, so he even had a vision then of people being able to carry it around with them. Exactly. Now, obviously, we know that that leads up to the iPhone, but sticking with the iPod for a second, that was first unveiled in 2001. They had taken the learnings and the failings overall from Macintosh and the iMac and brought the iPod to the market. And it blows my mind. So in 2001, I started secondary school in 2001. And do you know what I had with me in my in my school jacket? I had a CD player in one pocket and I had loads of CDs in the other side. So that'll give you a, an idea of what life was like when you were consuming music. However, at the same time, the music industry was under huge pressure because things like Napster and piracy websites were growing in popularity. Mm. I don't know if you want to admit, did you ever... Uh, yeah, Napster. We used to use Napster for everything. So many people did. And you put them onto your MP3 player. A lot of the MP3 players didn't necessarily have screens. It wasn't a great user experience. And of course, the music industry was feeling the pinch. So what happened in 2001? Firstly, in January of that year, we got uh, iTunes. 
So you were able to put your CDs into your computer and rip them into iTunes and it would bring the name and the uh, artist, the name of the song and the artist into your library. So Mm. finally, we could digitise our libraries with music that we'd already paid for. You didn't need to steal the music. Um, I wonder to an extent, and it's not as sexy a development, so it often gets overlooked. I wonder to what extent the deal in the 90s to allow Microsoft products be put onto Apple platforms, how big a deal that was. Because suddenly you did have to be one or the other person anymore. You could have Microsoft Word on your Mac. We are still in the process of ironing out some of those uh, difficulties between the compatibility with Apple devices and other stuff. Mm. I used to use a Mac here on work and I had to stop because it wouldn't talk to the printers. So Apple is, and that's part of Steve Jobs' vision, or it was part of his vision. He wanted that closed off ecosystem. So when they enabled things like the word processing programs from Mm. Microsoft to talk to Apple devices. It was seen to be this big revolutionary moment. But the compatibility still to this day, there are issues there. There are certain apps, for example, that you can only get on iPhone that don't go on Android devices. And that lack of talking to each other is one of the big pain points that consumers feel. You know, if if you have my job, if everyone wants to have a pity party for me now, if I'm trying to move my stuff from device to device, up until two or three years ago, that was a painful experience and things just wouldn't work. So that you're you're right. That is an important landmark in this moment. But I do think the arrival of the iPod was the I suppose catalyst not only for Apple bringing on the iPhone, but then for the evolution of things like social media and you know citizen journalism. Because having five thousand, no, it was a thousand songs that you could first put onto an iPod. Yeah. They saw that there was the demand there for that. And we saw different iterations. We saw devices having uh, connectivity, internet connectivity. And then six years later in 2007 is when we got the first iPhone. So why do you suspect the iPod was such a success compared to other MP3 devices that all came out around the same time like the, it was a, there was the Zen the, the creative, creative yes. or was that the, one and the same uh-huh. anyway there was lots of others all came around at the same time the design Okay. And this is where, and you still see it to this day, uh, I often talk about Elizabeth Holmes who founded the company Theranos, she's now in jail, but uh, she cited and always tried to mimic herself on Steve Jobs and she essentially created a device uh, that would analyse your blood to see if you had any medical conditions. And she could have done this in a really ugly device that would be clunky and disgusting and instead she went and hired former Steve Jobs employees because he held the highest standards when it came to the design. And if you look at the first iPod, I know people, I'm sure somebody listening to this right now still has the original iPod Mm -hmm. in a drawer somewhere. If you look at it, the design of it was incredible. The small enough screen that would allow you to see the name of the artist, to see the song. Do you remember the little wheel that will go click, 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 as you went through your songs? Everything about the design made it feel premium. Now, it was a premium price tag. They were around $400. But that thing of empowering people to take their music, their entertainment in the palm of their hand in a device that looked great. White headphones became a thing because of the iPod. Do you remember when you bought an iPod, you got white headphones and that was a status symbol for people? I remember listening to somebody on the radio, possibly on News Talk at the time, warning people to not use their white headphones because it was uh, telling potential thieves that they had an iPhone or an iPod in their pocket. That you were loaded. Yeah, Yeah. that was essentially it. But it was such (laughs) a shift. And again, all of those stylized things 
became so iconically Apple. And I think the success of that, you know, we, we then eventually got to the iPod Touch, mm. which was essentially an iPhone without the phone connectivity. And people lost their minds. Back when this launched, when the iPhone launched in 2007, we never really spoke about apps. No. You know what I mean? You didn't really interact with touchscreen at all. And I have watched it so many times since. But in 2007, when they unveiled uh, the first iPhone, Steve Jobs announced it to the world by saying, you know, imagine having a device that would replace your camera and your calculator and your cell phone. And it's also Younger people basic. listening thinking, those were separate things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You used to have a separate calculator. Exactly. But when you look from, you know, the Macintosh to the iPhone, that first iPhone, which was clunky, had a tiny bit of storage, had no real RAM to write home about. It did transform so much of life as we know it today. The iPod Touch, yeah, that was my that was my first Apple device. Oh, was it? Yeah, I had a Creative Zen uh, MP3 player before I still that. I mine. Yeah, anyway. Um, Sandra Newman wrote the book, Julia. Oh, okay. I strongly recommend it. Jess Kelly, our technology correspondent. Thank you very, very much for that. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.